It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Whitehall Sources is brought to you in association with The Resident, hotels where guests can expect a relaxed, warm and welcoming atmosphere. You can get that from this podcast too, in fact. An exceptional experience awaits at The Resident city centre locations and from this Whitehall Sources podcast, which starts now. Welcome to Whitehall Sources. We're recording this on Thursday the 22nd of December, but it will not be released until Thursday the 29th of December. So just so you know, want to take you behind the scenes on that. This is one of our festive specials. Next week, we're going to run through our greatest hits since the podcast launched, what, about 10 weeks ago, a couple of months ago. Uh, And so you'll get that in your feed next Thursday. Uh, But today, for festive reasons, of course, We want to consider Christmas in Whitehall. What does it mean? What does it feel like? What's it all about, really? Hello, Frankie Leach. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. I am well. More importantly, we should ask Kirsty Buchanan how she is today, because somebody's been having festive fun, haven't they, Kirsty? Someone has, yeah. I went out for a uh, Theresa May era Downing Street reunion, Christmas reunion last night. So I'm feeling a little bit delicate, so be gentle with me today, please. Am I allowed to ask any questions about it, or is it totally off the record? Uh, It's all Chatham House rules, I'm afraid. It was all very civilised, and uh, I mean, I was, you know, I was kind of tucked up in bed by midnight. It was... um, Oh, that's good. It was... There was an advantage card on by a cleaner, which, by the way, is my favourite tidbit of all of the stories that have come out of number 10... The fact that the cleaner was so horrified to find a discarded crusty 
Boots Advantage card is the best thing I've ever heard. So this is the story about uh, Liz Truss's um, Grace and Favour house and the potential for parties that may have happened there in which, um, I'm not sure how to say it subtly, but Boots Advantage cards may have been required to help with the divvying up of certain substances. All of these allegations, of course, firmly denied by those who were there. Uh, may I ask, Kirsty, and you, you may not answer this, I don't know, was the former Prime Minister there last night? Uh, no. Oh, no. fine. Uh, the Chief of Staff was, though, Gavin Barber. Oh, nice. And, um, how's Gav? It was a good show. It was a good show. Yeah, good, good. Any any sort of karaoke? Any What was the sort of vibe? No karaoke. It was a it was a it was a bar. There was wine. There were pints of lager. <laughs> there was chat. There was a bit of vaping outside. That's about <laughs> that's about as risque as it got. Oh gosh! Right. Okay. That is actually brings us neatly into what we want to talk about: Christmas parties, because it is the season to be jolly and all that. Um, Kirsty had hers last night. Whitehall Christmas parties is a lid that we can lift quite happily on this podcast, I think, for a little Christmas treat. Frankie, are any of them memorable? And you know what I mean by that. Can you actually remember any of your Christmas parties when you, when you were working in, in and around Whitehall? I can. I had a particularly excellent Christmas party in 2018. I'd started working in Lotto in the March. So this was like my first Christmas party in Westminster, um, I'm not someone who's known to be able to hold their drink. I am what the, the kids would call a lightweight. So I think I had about two beers at the Christmas party and was absolutely spandangled. <laughs> and the funny thing about a lotto Christmas party <laughs> is that um, you basically have the leader of the opposition, who obviously at that time was Jeremy, come and do a big speech, which is like, thanks so much for all your hard work. And obviously all the staff are at the back of the room perusing the booze that's been laid out on the back table, sort of like nodding away, you know, saying hello to people. It's like it's been a good year, hasn't it? You know, politics going well whilst you're necking back, you know, five or six Peronis in an hour. <laughs> and um, we had a karaoke machine this year. And one of the problems that I have when I have a drink is that for some reason, I decide that I am like the queen of the karaoke. <laughs> and... I basically, we did do karaoke and I, I held back for ages, but obviously I kept drinking and it was great. Like Ian Lavery and the political secretary at the time, Amy Jackson, who I love, um, did a really nice version. I think it was um, Baby It's Cold Outside. And, you know, Amy can really sing as well. So we were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> anyway, I kind of built up the courage and I was like, I'm going to do a karaoke song. Um, but by this point, I was obviously like quite drunk and the karaoke song that I decided to do um, was one by H2O, which, if you can remember, is like a kind of... I don't even know how to describe them, but basically I did... Um, what should I do? Platinum. What's it going to be by H2O, which is... <laughs> I mean, this is a feisty choice for karaoke, isn't it? <laughs> I also don't know the words. <laughs> there's a lot of them. I've never heard this before today. What is Frankie, what is this? Right. God. I also danced as well. Was Jeremy Corbyn dancing to this or? No, thankfully not, but there was enough people there for it to be a thing. Anyway, 
um, the problem was is that like nobody was really listening to the karaoke anymore. So I was just kind of doing it on my own to a room of people who really didn't want to watch, who were just having drinks. And anyway, Carrie Murphy, the chief of staff, just kind of came up and sort of tapped me on the shoulder and went, that's enough now. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't mean, but I was so devastated. Oh, my word. Did she actually turn it or did it just descend into silence? She just turned it, like pulled the plug, basically. (laughs) No, I just kind of had to like walk away. Fade out and walk away. That's the line in... um... Pride and Prejudice, isn't it? When one of the Bennett daughters is is playing the piano and singing really badly and she sort of goes into a second song and her father comes over and says, you have delighted us enough. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so that's what I got. Um, I mean, the Christmas parties were always good fun. And I think what we used to always hear as well is the rumours about other people's Christmas parties as well. And it did always sound like to me that Number 10 had very raucous Christmas parties, but we did not know the extent of the Christmas parties that were going on until it all kind of suddenly went in the press. And that's quite the funny thing, isn't it? I don't know if you felt the same, Kirsty, but like when you're working in Whitehall, everyone knows that the Christmas party is like a bit of a madness and it just depends on who you are to the level of madness that you partake in. But it's just like any Christmas party, like, you know, stuff goes down. So then when we were doing the paper reviews a couple of years ago, and it was revealing all of the stuff that went on in those Christmas parties. Obviously, because it was lockdown, it shouldn't have happened. But I wasn't entirely surprised by what I heard. Mm. That and I don't know if you felt the same, Kirsty, but I sort of kept my mouth shut for a lot of it because I was like, you know, I, I too have done dodgy karaoke in front of people. I think, I mean, look, I feel sorry for a lot of the staff that worked in Downing Street during those lockdown parties. Uh, you know, the the tone was set by the leadership. Uh, there was, you know, there was from the top down uh, a, a sort of uh, attitude that these were, you know, these were acceptable parties to have. And I think, you know, I've talked to a lot of the kind of junior staff that worked there during that time. And, you know, they feel the need to kind of defend themselves. Um, and, you know, it, a lot of these, you know, press officers and, you know, junior policy people that work, they're very young and, you know, I think they were very worried about having a blight on their, you know, a stain on their careers and what have you. So, um, and I think one of the more undignified aspects, if you like, of, of all of that, um, apart from the fact that it kind of took place, was was how quick the people at the top were to throw people, you know, at the bottom, uh, if you like, under the bus. You know, it shouldn't have been, you know, what I wanted to see was people take responsibility at the top for that. Um, And that, uh, to make a bad situation worse, just didn't happen. Um, And we had this kind of grudging, you know, pulling out of Boris Johnson of, of, of what actually happened and, you know, a moving from a sort of total denial to to an acceptance and an apology. Um, so, look, I mean, I am uh, old enough to remember when you can have parties in Downing Street without breaking the law. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, ours, ours were a completely different kind of kettle of fish. Um, and I had a couple of Christmas parties at Downing Street and they were very different for very different reasons. Mm. One was a very normal kind of bog-standard Christmas party and one was the pinnacle, the crux of Brexit drama. 
Um, now, forgive me, because to, to explain the evening, the Christmas party evening, I'm going to have to roll back and set the scene. So if you will recall, back in the dim and distant days of early Brexit negotiations, the Brexit negotiations were split into two phases. And before Britain could start to talk to the EU about a future trading relationship, it had to agree the kind of divorce settlement bit, phase one, if you like, which was around you know, the financial settlement of the divorce, if you like, uh, the uh, treatment of EU citizens after Brexit and, and what rights they could expect. Um, and the little issue of uh, Northern Ireland and the Irish border. Right? So, uh, and until sufficient progress was the phrase, until sufficient progress was made uh, in these areas, we couldn't move on to talk about the trading relationship. And there was a deadline beating up on this because there was an EU Council meeting on December the 14th and 15th of, uh, of 2017. And so we needed to get that sufficient progress so that the EU could sign off on that joint report by the end of the year so that we could spend the next year talking about you know, the, trading, the future trading relationship. So there was a clear deadline. Now, so this take us to the Monday before the following week of that EU Council. We think we've got the Conservative Party into the right place. We think we've got the DUP into the right place. And the reason the DUP mattered so much was obviously... At the time, we were in a confidence and supply agreement uh, with the DUP. So, so they needed to be comfortable with what we had agreed in terms of sufficient progress. So uh, I don't know if you recall this, but the Prime Minister on the Monday went to Brussels uh, thinking that we'd done enough. She sat and had a lunch with Juncker. And during the middle of this uh, lunch with Juncker, she got a phone call from the Chief Whip, then Julian Smith, who said... Uh, you know, the DUP are not happy, um, and uh, in essence, the Prime Minister had to come back. We thought we'd done enough to get them over the line, and we hadn't. So it was pretty embarrassing at the time. Um, and we had uh, not known at the time to anyone but us. I mean, it's known now. So uh, Juncker had a medical uh, appointment, had to go into a hospital on the Friday, so in essence, that we'd left on the Monday the lunch. So that gave us three days to get the DUP over the line. And then we had to fly over to Brussels on the Friday morning to sign off the agreement. So cut to Thursday night. It's the Christmas party oh, in Downing Street. fantastic. Right? So we've had three days of intense negotiations with the Conservative Party, put them in the right place, and the DUP. And we've had some concessions wrung out of... Uh, the EU into the text of the joint report to uh, appease some of the DUP's concerns, including, it turns out, the notorious paragraph 50, which at the time no one really clocked, but opened the door to the, the good old backstop, and therein lies another tale. <laughs> um, so we think we'd get them into the right place. The Christmas party takes place in Downing Street, mainly in the state rooms, and there's a room off the state rooms, which has got a big kind of oak table, and that's all cleared out, and you have a karaoke in there. So we put the first, the Prime Minister puts the first phone call in to Arlene Foster at 8pm. And Arlene says, I'm not sure we've done enough to get unanimous agreement here. I'm going to go away and talk to, talk to the, you know, the party um, and I will call you back. So in essence, the, day, then the night gets later and later and later. The staff in Downing Street get drunker and drunker and drunker. We are all sober because there's this literally, not only would Brexit kind of be a, you know, would have 
in essence, collapsed if we couldn't get sufficient progress. Mm. But the government might have collapsed as well because if we couldn't get the DUP to sign up to it, then that's our confidence supply gone too. So the entire government and the future of our trading relationship with EU hangs in the balance. Why people are going up and down with mistletoe and singing karaoke. <laughs> and we're trying to get back to Arlene. She's, she's, she's not taking the calls. She's still in negotiations. It's getting really tense. Um, genuinely true, and I think entirely coincidental, at some point on the karaoke, someone starts singing, come on, Eileen. And eventually, at 11.30, we, we, we patch through to uh, Arlene Foster, and she says, look, I'm, I don't think I can get unanimous support for this. It's really tense. There's... There's the out there's the out room and we're all listening on a on a on a on a phone call and we're all literally sat like this. People are sort of drunkenly wandering in and we're shooing them off and waiting for Arlene to give us the kind of green light on this. And she said, Look, I just I cannot get unanimous support. And then there's this pause and the Prime Minister makes a judgment call and she says, you know, I have to do what I think is in the national interest. I'm going to go to Brussels tomorrow and say what I have to say. You know, thank you very much. And she puts the phone down and we're all sort of this huge sort of collective sigh of relief we we think we and because Arlene doesn't say yes and she doesn't say no that's enough that mm. gives us enough to, to fly out um now because of the timing of Juncker having to go into the hospital she then needed to fly out in the early hours of the morning so it's now about I don't know midnight one o'clock none of us want to go home because it's so so historic Downing Street's beginning to filter out and all the, you know, people getting their taxis in the last tube home, what have you. And so we decide that because we don't want to miss any of this and because we've got a lot of briefing to do first thing in the morning, because we're about to surprise the country with sufficient uh, progress, um, we all sleep in Downing Street. And I didn't know at the time, this was the first time I'd ever slept at Downing Street. It's not the last time, but the first time I'd ever slept there. And I didn't know that they were upstairs, they were like fold-out camp beds. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not a lot, but two True. or three, in a, um, you know, in a cupboard in, in a couple of rooms if you know where to find them. Um, and so I took a couple of really kind of hard cushions off this tiny little sofa in the events and visits room and laid them out in the press office with a, and put a load of you know, coats on top of me. Oh <laughs> and word. Tom Swarbrick uh, slept on the Chancellor's uh, sofa, which is a big, huge thing. And Tom Swarbrick's a tall chap, so yeah. he slept on that. And I slept in the in the uh, in the press room on the floor, basically. Well, I say slept. Um, and then about five o'clock in the morning, Robbie Gibb, who was the director of comms at the time, sort of he'd obviously gone into the chancellor's room, woken up Tom because Tom was in charge of broadcast when he did a lot to do the work. And he kind of opened the press room and he said, "Oh, what, what are you doing here on the, on the floor?" I was sort of staggered up. And it was five in the morning. Um, the prime minister boarded the. Uh, 146 of RAF Northolt, who flew off uh, with Tricky Jackson. Um, and there was that amazing photo, I don't know if you remember, that black and white photo of her climbing the, the, the steps to the plane. Um, and we got on the phone, started ringing around saying, you know, to all the broadcasters saying, we've got there, we've got sufficient progress. The Prime Minister's taking off from RAF Northolt now, she'll be at Brussels. And we got it over the line. Um, and the rest, as they say, kind of, kind of went downhill a bit from there, didn't it? But, um, but that, was a, that was a big, big moment for us. Yeah. And, it, and, 
And I can't, the drama of us all sort of sat over the phone while this this background of sort of parties was going on was just really surreal. Yeah, that is absolutely astonishing that that is the context of the party. All you can hear drifting down the street is Frankie doing her karaoke from the other party. At the other end of, at the other end of Whitehall. The story is like so impressive and it's like Percy's it's commitment, amazing. political like now and then across the road it's just me like... <laughs> that is it is it is remarkable that that is the context and you understand people want a christmas party christmas parties are not usually illegal and that's you know and so that is happening while actually running the country continues <laughs> and it's just oh gosh what a moment and it, and it literally went to the wire it was 11 30 we finally had the conversation wow. and we all held our breath yeah you know we waited for arlene to to say yes she didn't say yes she didn't say no and you could and the, like I say, the Prime Minister took a judgment call and said, look, you know, I have, to, I have to act in the national interest and I'm going to go to Brussels and say what I have to say. And as she put the phone down, we all, you know, we all sort of let out, because we'd all been holding our breath because it was so tense. That call was so tense. And in the background, you've got this weird, surreal party going on. It was one of the most bizarre things I've ever experienced. Coming up before the end of this week's episode, more from Frankie and Kirsty on the impact of election results on staff, on advisors like them, especially in Frankie's case, when election results come around Christmas time. What are the implications? What does that mean? And what did that do to her enjoyment of the festive season as well? Make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast. You can email us anytime as well. The email address is hello at whitehallsources.com to get in touch. Or you can find us on TikTok, on Twitter and on Instagram as well. We are so glad to be here and we are so grateful for our wonderful sponsor. Whitehall Sources is brought to you in association with Resident Hotels. Their fantastic team of resident insiders are waiting for you at their ideal city centre locations in London and Liverpool. The locations are hand-picked. Insiders are specifically trained to give you all the info you could possibly need for your stay, including secret tips and tricks of the local neighbourhood. They sound a bit like sources, you might say. It's magic moments galore during your stay. And by the way, TripAdvisor backs us up on this. The Resident Hotel Liverpool is number one. Covent Garden in London is number one. Kensington, Soho and Victoria in London are all in the top 30. Here's what Nicholas says in his review. We found our room very spacious. The Nespresso machine and mini fridge was a lifesaver, as I really need my morning coffee with real milk to get going. The staff were very friendly and helpful. Sold. Click residenthotels.com to book your stay at one of the resident hotels, making Whitehall sources possible. In terms of a kind of more normal Christmas party then, is there, is there for example, are there people who are designated as not drinking? Because actually the is the business at this time of year it, there is business of government still sure it might be quieter and calmer and whatever in normal circumstances when brexit isn't a thing but do you have to kind of allow for the fact that this is the government that still needs to kind of function well i mean look, it's it's one evening of one night and it's the downing street staff it's not ministers yeah. um so uh you know, I mean, I had a perfectly normal Christmas party at Downing Street the following year. Um, we all take turns to man the bar. 
Um, so there's a big sort of... It's in the stateroom, so they have a sort of trestle tables put out. And we man the bar on a rotor system. Uh, it gets a little bit, you know, shocky <laughs> as it goes on. You start off with these correct measures and there you go and thank you very mm. much. And it ends up, you know... Um, and we do a secret Santa and all that sort of stuff. So nice. it's a very... It's a very kind of normal standard Christmas party, except that it takes place in the state rooms of Downing Street, yeah. which is just gives it a slightly kind of surreal tint anyway. That is pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. I also have quite an interesting alternative to this, which is that, you know, the 2018 Christmas party was great because it felt like we were winning. But obviously, you know, we lost the election on December the 10th. So then obviously we didn't have a Christmas party but, you know, what would usually be like a very joyous and fun time, like you say, in like the corridors of Westminster in Lotto, it was just dreadful. And we kept having leaving dues every five minutes as well, because people would be, you know, ending their jobs early. Because when you work in Lotto, you have kind of an unwritten rule that your contract is tied to the longevity of the leader of the opposition. So if at any point they resign or they're pushed out or they lose an election and decide that they're stepping down, you essentially immediately lose your job as well and your notice period doesn't really work either. So, you know, when Jeremy lost the election in December, you know, I remember watching the results come in. I was actually with him and it was weird because we were at the Freedom From Torture Centre, which essentially was like a local NGO around the corner from near where he lives. And we were there with close protection kind of his closest family and I was there on events duty because that was my job and you know everyone else around you is preparing for Christmas <laughs> and then at the same time we've got this really serious election <laughs> happening and I remember watching it come in on the tv and obviously it was so I wasn't expecting the defeat to be that massive and now when I read kind of the post-Thomas um, kind of analysis of what went down I probably should have been a bit more clearer about <laughs> how much we were going to lose by but, you know, first I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's horrendous. And then it took me a couple of seconds and I was like, oh, my God, I've just lost my job. Mm. And that a week before Christmas or two weeks before Christmas is a really hard thing. And I remember we ordered loads of pizza um, stupidly because we were like, we need to celebrate the win. Let's get a load of pizza in. So we lost the election. Everybody's crying. Everybody's devastated. And I just was looking at this mountain of pizza like, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> with all this pizza. So I walked around the corner to the... Say again, Kirsty. Comfort eat. Yes. Yeah, well, I couldn't eat. I was, like, completely dumbstruck. And again, the problem is, is that once you've lost an election, it doesn't end there, does it, Kirsty? You've got to then go do the resignation round. And I had to take him back to his count, Jeremy. Um, and then at the time, I didn't know that he was going to be resigning because you don't, you don't expect what happens after you immediately lose like this protocol and this procedure but I was just shell-shocked I was like, I don't know what's happening so we ended up having to go back to the count and it was the leisure center and it was all dressed up in Christmas decorations and I remember sitting in the sort of green room waiting um to for Jeremy to do this speech at his own count because obviously he'd won his seat so he has to do essentially a, a thank you speech but you know the press knew that was potentially going to be his resignation speech and essentially we were wargaming I mean I wasn't involved but I was watching it kind of sort of slightly withdrawn what was going to happen and what I didn't realize in that leisure center whilst I sort of went around dishing out this pizza was that they were writing his resignation speech and I didn't know that he was going to resign 
um, until he actually got up on the podium and said, you know, I'm resigning. And it honestly, I still to this day think about those kind of few hours is like, I, it felt like I was on drugs. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like my body had been separated from my mind and I was watching all of this and it was just the most insane feeling. And then, you know, like two weeks later, I'm having a family Christmas with my partner. And I think we don't talk about how devastating it is. You know, you lose your job, mm. you lose your community. It essentially feels like you lose your life. Mm. And I just remember being sat around Christmas dinner, like, like just holding it all in, trying not to cry and trying to put a face on. And it's hard. I think people don't really talk about that. And I'm sure you felt the same, Kirsty, because when it's tied around Christmas, if you're not having a good time, it can really make life really hard and unpleasant. Well, <clears throat> I remember in the 2017, we were waiting for the exit poll. And I mean, it had become clear to us, obviously, that that, that broadened and shallow support had been draining. But we still thought we were in the realms of sort of 20, 30 seats, right? Uh, and we're all standing around waiting for the, um, uh, for the exit poll to drop from the BBC. And I remember turning to, I think it was Thomas Warbrick, and said, uh, you know, in the context of where we are, I don't know what good looks like. Is it, is it, is it 20? Is it 30? And then it dropped. And I went, well, it ain't that. <laughs> And Tom said, well, if that's right, then we're in trouble. Done for. Yes, <laughs> we're in trouble, let's put it that way. Um, and it, it's right. It's like someone sucks all the, all the air out of the room and the, and the rest of the night is yeah, shock and, and that slightly kind of, not out-of-body experience, but, yeah, like a, like a, like a genuine shock is, is, is how it feels. It's a physical feeling and you know um and fiona hill came out and said look you know uh, don't panic these results are you know w what we're hearing isn't you know isn't the same and it'll, you know, it'll strengthen up as the night goes on so the night went on it became crystal clear that that wasn't the case and we'd had um there was a bar around the corner and obviously we were going to have a kind of celebratory party and even though we kind of technically won there was like obviously no no mood for a celebration and round about uh you know and upstairs it was all set for a party and there were balloons and beers and it just it turns it turns very quickly from a party to a wake mm -hmm. and you know no one really has got an appetite to, for anything for drink for for food or anything and around about six o'clock in the morning we staggered off to this bar because we wanted something to eat. And there were all these, you know, there were all these, um, uh, you know, drinks up and then uh, cocktails up on the bar and everything. And there's a line from some, I think it's either a Morrissey or a Smith song. Uh, I can't remember what it said. And I stood at the bar with my head on the bar, which we used to say quite a lot. And I just turned to the press secretary and I said, and I stood at the bar with my head on the bar. Um, and then we just sort of picked up a, one of these bacon butties that was on, you know, and then sort of wandered back again. It was just, it was, it's a very weird experience. I mean, particularly yeah. when, when a victory feels like a loss um, and you're trying to shore up the government and, uh, and to stop it collapsing. It was, a, yeah, it yeah. was, it was brilliant. I know what you mean. I got in a taxi back to Labour HQ at this point at about five in the morning because time stops, doesn't it?
It's like suddenly like, you know, you're not checking the clock. You're just in like a robot mode. And I got a taxi back to Labour Party HQ because Jeremy had to essentially do the round and say sorry, really. That's what you do. You say, you know, we'll we'll rally. You know, you tried your best, that kind of like big speech. And I had this bottle, a very nice wine that I was saving under my desk because I was like, we're going to win. So I'm going to cheers with this wine. Anyway, I sort of sloped off after watching him do the rounds and it's like, you know, apocalyptic. Everybody's crying. It's horrible. And I sort of quietly went under my desk, picked up the bottle of wine, opened the screw cap and just drank it straight from the <laughs> bottle. I was like, it's a night for that kind of thing. And I went home and I cried my eyes out. And then oddly, I didn't cry about it again after that. It's like I got it all out in one big sort of horrible sort of yelp almost at home. God knows what my housemates thought. And then I didn't really cry about it after that because I had to go back. I essentially became caretaker and stayed on working there until April. And let me tell you, that's weird. Once it's over, but you're still waiting for a leadership election, that is the weirdest thing because you're so... You go from being like the most relevant person in the world to the most irrelevant person in the world. And it's like we, you know, used to always have shadow cabinet people coming in, asking Jeremy to like sign bottles of champagne or whatever for a CLP raffle. And then suddenly overnight, you are just like persona non grata. Nobody wants to hear from you. Nobody wants to know from you. And I remember going for a very sad Christmas dinner at the House of Lords, which, by the way, if anyone's ever in Parliament, you want to know the ranking of the Christmas dinners the cafe at the Lord's does the best Christmas dinner. Portcullis <laughs> House does the worst Christmas dinner in the world. Go to the Lord's. <laughs> and I sat on the terrace in the freezing cold and just was like, what now? Because that's you're just completely untethered. And that was my Christmas. So I'm hoping for a better one this year. Wow. God, this has taken us to places that I probably hadn't fully anticipated when we discussed talking about Christmas parties, but actually Christmas experiences in Whitehall... Uh, they're so different. And over the last couple of years, they have been so extreme, actually. And I suppose the election feelings apply at any time of year, but are perhaps intensified, as you say it, when it's a Christmas um, kind of feeling. Then you've got Christmas parties where you're trying to strike a Brexit deal, and you've got Christmas parties where you can actually do some karaoke and have a laugh. It's just, the highs, I think it is highs and lows, to use the cliche, isn't it? You're just, you're kind of thrown around all over the place. I guess. And then you have Boris Johnson Christmas parties and, you know, that you shouldn't be having at all. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, life's a journey. Well, life is a journey. Oh, gosh, you're not wrong. Um, well, thank you. That was very, really very interesting, actually. Um, on election defeats, on Christmas parties as well. Often this podcast takes us into places that we hadn't really predicted going, and that was one of those episodes, actually. So thanks to Kirsty and Frankie. And can I just say, there's lots more to come in the new year as well. We've already got really, really exciting plans. We have existed for, what, a little over two months. Uh, we launched in mid-October, so I suppose uh, two and a half months, really, about 10 or 11 weeks. And we have covered so much already and so many of the issues that we've been discussing already on Whitehall Sources will still be pertinent in 2023. And so can I just encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, to follow it, because the analysis that you get from Kirsty, from Frankie and from guests that we'll have dropping in throughout the year as well is really second to none. Um, it properly gets stuck in based on experiences of those that have worked in Whitehall, in Downing Street, in the Leader of the Opposition's office, and gives you insight into how these things work. There's plenty more to come from Whitehall Sources every Thursday, so we'll speak to you next week. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 